Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled, Where is the Abode of the Animalistic and Godly Soul? In the Tanya, we are on page 40. Apologies, we're on page 36, chapter 9. Page 36, chapter 9. And today, we're going to actually discuss where exactly does the nefesh habehamit, the animalistic soul, the, and the, the nefesh elokit, the godly soul, where do they live? Why is this important to know? We learn that half of a cure is knowing the sickness. We all know the worst issue that exists in the, sci in the medical field at times is that they don't know what the sickness is. Sometimes you have an issue and the doctors don't know what it is. We're in trouble. So half of the cure is recognizing what the sickness is. So we need to know where do the animalistic soul and godly souls, where do they respectively live? And when we know where they live, we'll know what their focus, what their main life is. When we're going to say where they live, they live in, throughout the entire body. The animalistic soul is everywhere, the godly soul is everywhere. The question is, where is their main focus? Where is their main home? Just like Sali Shlomo lives in Israel and in Oregon, but he mainly lives in, Oregon, in, in, in Israel. So the same thing, the animalistic soul, where does it mainly live? In the heart. Where does the godly soul live? In the mind. And this is very representative of who they are. The animalistic soul, the nefesh, Abrahamid. All it is, is its emotions. It, it, it just gets caught up in its emotions, in its desires, in its lust for materialistic items. Your animalistic soul lives in your heart. The godly soul lives in the brain. The brain controls the heart. Hashem says not to go ahead and murder, so our mind controls us and says that is what we're going to do. If our heart controls us, we're in trouble. We all know those people that their, that their heart controls them. It's hard to talk to them. Hashem says our, heart, our mind needs to, needs to control us. Mayach shalit al halev. Moach, the brain, shalit controls al halev, the heart. Let's see this inside. Chapter 9. The abode of the animal soul, the Nefesh Behamit. Where does the animalistic soul mainly live? And if you look in footnote number 1, that's what it says. In the sense of its principal area of manifestation. Where is, where is the principal area of manifestation of the animalistic soul? And where does this animalistic soul come from? Derived from the Klippat Noga in every Jew. The animalistic soul comes from the Klippat Noga. That energy we said that could be used out for good or unfortunately for the opposite of good. It's in the heart. And even within the heart, the heart has two ventricles. There is the right and the left. So the animalistic soul is in the left ventricle that is filled with blood. What's the connection between the nefesh abahamit, the animalistic soul, and blood? 
Easy. It's a clear quote in Deuteronomy 12, 23. It is written, For the blood is the nephesh. The blood is the soul. Why? Jews don't eat blood. We don't drink blood, would be more precise. We're not allowed to drink blood and similarly eat blood. Why are we so crazy about salting meat? If you're familiar in the process of slaughtering and eating kosher animals, we are oversensitive to blood. We have to rinse the meat numerous times. We salt it numerous times because not a drop of blood can remain because blood is the soul, both of a human and of an animal. And we don't, we don't want to, God forbid, start eating the soul of anything. And because now, so now that we know the animalistic soul lives in the blood, and primarily it lives in the blood within the left ventricle of the heart, so now we understand, hence all lusts and boasting and aid. Does the right ventricle have any significance there? We're going to get to that momentarily. Good question. What about the right ventricle? Hold the question. Hence, all lusts and boasting and anger and similar passions are in the heart. And from the heart, they spread throughout the whole body. If the animalistic soul is the blood, and primarily the blood is pumping out of the heart, so now we understand why emotions, and, and certainly negative emotions, come from the heart. That's where the animalistic soul is. This power, for good or bad, is in the left ventricle of the heart. That is why, unfortunately, someone who boasts, someone who has tremendous desires that overtake him, anger management problems, it all comes from the heart. And from there it goes to the entire body. But, when we say it goes to the entire body, it even goes to the brain. Rising also to the brain in the head. That means the animalistic soul has a brain. But its brain is only there to help its desire. Once the animalistic soul in the heart, once the Nefesh Abahamit in the lays says, I want veggie straws, well then the brain is now going to tell it, okay, so let's go to Costco and buy them, or any other method it's going to say. But, so it does have a brain, but the brain is there to help the animalistic soul get its desire. The heart comes first. The desire came first. And that's what we're saying. It rises also to the brain of the head. Certainly the animalistic soul has, has brain power, but it's connected to its desire. So as to think, back in the Tanya, so as to think and meditate about them, about the desire, and become cunning in them. Your, your brain is going to do whatever it can, in any possible way, appropriate or not appropriate, to get that desire. And this is just as the blood has its source in the heart, and from the heart it circulates into every limb, rising also to the brain and the head. So, just like blood, it, it's primarily in the heart, but from there it goes to every part of the body, including the brain. Remember, the animalistic soul is in that blood. So similarly, the animalistic soul is primarily in the heart, but from there it goes throughout the entire body, including the brain. The 
the emotions, the heart, is the primary factor of the animalistic soul. Are there any questions? Uh, yes, Mendel, please. Let's read num oh. footnote number three first, and then we'll take the question. Footnote number three. The animal soul is mainly moved by passion, while the intelligence reacts to it. Footnote number three on the bottom of page 36. So yes, you have intellect, but that's to help you bring it about. Yes, Mendel, please. It's not good for mine, but I think I'll have a different question. Okay. If you sit, you could just continue. We could continue, okay. Now we're going to go ahead and talk about. I have a oh. Of course. Are there times when the heart overrules the brain? Unfortunately, there are times. <laughs> or, or there may be a lot of times. But that's because we're losing. Because of what? We are losing. Generally, the, the mind has to rule over the heart. It's not a good situation if the uh, if the uh, heart overrides the brain. If the heart overrides the brain, so anytime you pass by a store with something delicious, you're going to have to run in. You're not going to be able to control yourself. Correct. Correct. That's if the heart overrules. Correct. If the, if the brain overrules, then, then it's kind of like common sense. Then you're a winner, okay. and that's the godly soul. That's what we're going to say now. Okay. But. Continuing the Tanya, the abode of the divine soul is in the brains that are in the head. And from there it extends to all the limbs. So yes, the, animal, the godly soul is in the brain. Footnote number four over here. The divine soul is essentially intel intellective. So the most important factor of the Nefesh Elokit, the godly soul, is the intellect. And the mind rules over everything. And also back in the Tanya, and also in the heart. That means the godly soul is not only does it live in your brain, it also lives in your heart. Where in your heart does the godly soul live? In the, in the right ventricle, wherein there is no blood. As is written, the heart of the wise man is on his right. So we see here that there's something clearly about the right side of, side of the heart. A wise man, we're saying his heart is on the right side. Everyone here should be screaming, yet no one's screaming. Why? Why should everyone be screaming? We know that both the right and left ventricle of the heart have blood. So what is Rabshneir Zalman saying? There's no blood. It's not true. We know that there is blood in both of them. Anyone know the answer? Yaakov, what's the answer? It's a very geschmake. You know, you know the word geschmackless? Geschmack means a very uh, delicious answer. It gives you energy. What's the answer? There's blood and then there's blood. There's blood that gives you life and there's blood that needs life. What do I mean? What does the heart do? The heart pumps blood. Why does the heart pump blood? 
because the blood has a certain amount of energy until it needs to be re-energized. It has to come back into the lungs and get air and be re-energized. The blood on the right side is, is not considered blood in our context because it's returning. If, if you look at, if you look, I should have brought a picture, but if you look at in, in how the blood goes into your heart, there, our doctor is not here tonight, correct. The blood comes from the body into the right ventricle. That means it's empty. It doesn't have the energy to give you life. So when we say the right ventricle is there's no blood, we don't mean of course there's blood. We mean there's no living blood. There's no blood that gives you life. From the right ventricle it goes to the lungs, back into the left ventricle. So already when the, when the blood gets into the left side of the heart, it's full of energy. So yes, both sides have blood, but the blood on the right side doesn't have energy to give you life. The blood on the left side has already that energy. And maybe if you said it, I didn't hear it or it was over my head, why is it that the left side only has the, has the right or the ability to give energy? That's the way Hashem made it. That the blood comes back, the blood comes back from the body to the right side, then to the lungs, and back to the back to the left side. When, when Schneer's Roman lived, yeah, was before the circulatory system was actually discovered. That's also true. And some people point that out also. Yeah, yeah. in their comments. Yeah, that's a good point. That. Uh, what was your point, Jason? The circulatory system was only discovered in the early 19th century by William Harvey. So that it wasn't fully known before that when Schneer's almond lived. Nonetheless, but nonetheless he still knew it. He knew, he knew quite a lot about yes. it, but not the complete picture. Um, I want to say one more thing and then we'll take that question. There is, in the heart of everyone, 2.7 or 2.9 ounces of blood in your heart. And this blood never leaves your heart. It's called the blood of the soul. The Gemara says there's a revius of dam, a one-fourth, there's a one-fourth of blood, approximately the measurement of 2.7 ounces. And that is where the soul is. So in addition to the fact that the left side has the energetic blood there's also in the left side of your heart this small amount of blood that does not leave and that is the dam hanefesh the soul the, the, the soul is within that blood itself so to summarize the animalistic soul lives in the left side of the heart where the blood is pumping with energy the godly soul lives primarily in the brain but also in the right side of the heart where there is not this energetic blood because the mind rules over the heart. Yes, ma'am? On the right side? On the right side. Well, it, the mind, yes. yes. Is that why, since Tzadika and Layatara, so they don't, so basically, they're, they're, they're here to tell you basically, is, is or their, or their good nefesh is, um, is, is the whole thing because it, 
So they wanted me. They, they, they basically wanted me, which was because that's their emotions come from. Yeah. Regarding tzaddikim, rishayim, and benanim, we're going to wait till perik yud, yud aleph, and yud beis. That's a good question. Okay, back in the Tanya. So we've proven that the heart of the wise man is on his right, and the reason being because the right side doesn't have that energetic blood. The, the heart is controlled by the mind. It is. We're in the Tanya, page 36, right-hand column, second paragraph, seven lines in. The line begins right. It is the source of man's fervent love towards God, that godly soul, which is primarily in the brain, is the source of man's fervent love towards God, which like flaming coals flares up in the heart of discerning men who understand and reflect with the faculty of knowledge of their brain on matters that arouse this love. The, the godly soul controls the heart and we're showing you we're now going to bring two, emo two emotions, two feelings that come from the brain because the godly soul, the brain, the brain controls the heart. Number one is love. We're saying you have a love for God, but where is that loving love coming from? It's coming from understanding and reflecting with the faculty of knowledge on matters that arouse this love. Your mind is creating this love. I mean, we could probably all understand that there's some things that maybe we love at first sight, but that's fake love. There's, not, there's no substance to it. It's actually a very unhealthy love. If we would do what we love at the time, it would be very negative. That would be the animalistic soul talking. But then there's mature love. Love which we have worked on. Love which we have come to appreciate. The mind has controlled it. That's coming from the godly soul. And in regards, to, in, in our connection with Hashem, when someone thinks about Hashem, he thinks about so he thinks about how Hashem created the world, the infinite God created a finite world and He cares about me. Each and every one of us have to say that Hashem cares about me. Liz has to say Hashem cares about Liz and only Liz. Moshe Mandel has to say Hashem cares about Moshe Mandel and only Moshe Mandel. Each and every one of us. Hashem looks at you and He's focused on you. There's billions of people. And yet Hashem's focused on you. It's a very big responsibility. You, you could handle it? I'm sure you can, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Oh, man. Hashem says that I'm focusing on each and every one of you in a good way, of course. He says, I'm going to make sure that you have what you need. I'll sustain you, take care of you. That is how love comes from, think from your mind. The love of the godly soul. What about... Another attribute, the feeling of glad, gladness, tiferes. Similarly, we could be glad about something just because we're glad with the animalistic soul controlling us, or we could be glad because our mind has come to appreciate something. Let's continue in the Tanya. Also, 
Similarly, an example of the godly soul having tiferet, gladness of the gladness of the heart, in the beauty of God, and the majesty of His glory. So you're having this feeling of tiferet, beauty of God, and where did it come from? Which is aroused when the eyes of the wise man that are in his head, i.e. in the brain, harboring his wisdom and understanding, gaze at the glory of the king and beauty of his greatness. When we go ahead and we take the eyes which are in our brain, right, we don't have eyes in our brain, it's an expression. When we focus on something, Sally Shlomo, have you ever sat down in a chair and closed your eyes and just, just thought for like five minutes? Yeah. Try it out. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Tomorrow you come 7.25 in the morning and you sit, close your eyes, just think. Think about, and try think about Hashem. It's the most amazing thing. And when you do that, you are gazing. Your mind is focused. It's called the, it's called the eyes within your brain. In Hebrew we say, so when you go ahead and you focus your mind on something, you're gazing at something, you're gazing at the glory of the King, Hashem, and beauty of His greatness that are unfathomable and without end or limit, the kindness of Hashem is unimaginable. Hashem doesn't have an end or a limit to His kindness. As explained elsewhere, so then you're going to come to be so happy, be so glad to ferret when you recognize how awesome Hashem is. He has no limits and He's taking care of me. So my mind has created the feeling of gladness, of Tiferet. And similarly, just like the mind we've given example could affect and create love for Hashem, and just like the mind could create Tiferet, similarly, as also the other holy affections midot in the heart, originate from Chabad, from wisdom, understanding, knowledge, Chachma bin andat, in the brains. Let's try and put it together. Basically, in simple words, the animalistic soul is controlled by the heart. The heart tells everything what to do. The godly soul is controlled by the brain. The brain tells everything what to do. Any questions? Yaakov, what's the question? Conflict. What? Yeah, it's It's good. We're all fighting. One of the most amazing things that we'll learn in Tanya is that Hashem wants us to fight. Oftentimes, we'll, oftentimes we feel like we want to just be over that fight. But that's not what really always what Hashem wants. Hashem wants for many of us to fight. And we may need to fight the entire life. But we should know that we're doing Hashem's will. And we may fall. And we learn in the Pasuk that Sheva Yipel Tzadik become. Sometimes a Tzadik will fall seven times. But then he'll stand back up. So the, the task is not to fall. The task is to fall and stand up. Even if it's happened seven direct times, we're going to succeed. Chassidim said, from here we see, whenever something comes our way, we could decide, is it holy or is it unholy? 
Is it good or is it not good? Is it for me or is it not for me? It's a very simple test. When something came to my mind, where did it originate? Did it come from my heart or from my mind? I could have the holiest thought. I could go ahead and say that I'm going to go ahead and make a Shabbos meal and invite 75 people. And this way I'm going to be able to create this positive energy, etc., etc. Well, let's think. Is it come, did it originate in my heart? Then it's the animalistic soul. Maybe I want to do that because I'm scared to go to show Friday night. Maybe it's my way out. Maybe I want to do that because really I need to go to my parents' house and I just have a good excuse. If it originated in my heart, that means it's coming from the animalistic soul. If, it, if the original thought came from my brain, then it's the godly soul. It's a beautiful bark with which we can measure ourselves. Where is something originating? The mind is godly when it originates there most often. Mm-hmm. And the, if it's a feeling, then oftentimes it's coming from the animalistic soul. You almost make it sound like if it's coming from the heart, then there's excuses to stop it. And if it's coming from the brain, then it's it's godly and it's not... Um, there's no selfishness in it. There's no... Like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know the right word, like um, deviation or whatever. Well, that's a good point. And then let's be clear. Something could start in the mind and still be corrupt and incorrect and, and be, be from Khalif or from the other side. Right, but my point is that you're having that come from... But what I am saying is that as a general rule of thumb, when you want to just try and have a simple method of figuring out where something's coming from, this is an easy bar. It's not, it may not always work, for example, Maybe at times your mind is just... Busted. Yeah, basically maybe your mind is thinking incorrect. Or maybe your mind is, is being affected by your heart and you don't recognize that. For example, let me, let me give you an example. We all know Rabbi Emmanuel Shachat, Olav HaShalem. One of the things he did is he would go around and find Jews that had left Judaism feeling that another religion is better for them and he would talk to them. Many amazing stories that he had throughout his lifetime. One time he met someone and he told the, he told the man, he said, do me a favor. I want you to do me one favor. Take the Tanakh Take the Torah Nevi'im Suvim and read it from beginning to end without any break. And tell me what you think. And the man did that and he returned to Judaism. Because basically, unfortunately, oftentimes um, you have missionaries or people who will take like passages, random quotes and throw it at you. And they're true quotes. But the entire picture is not taken. Maybe the quotes were talking, talking to... Just Absolutely. So he, he told this man, start from beginning, go to end, and then let's reevaluate. And that's basically what happened. But one of the things he always says, he says, 
if you're talking to someone about religion, first figure out, is this man convinced intellectually or emotionally? If someone is emotionally convinced to do something, you're not going to be able to intellectually convince them out of it. You are wasting your time talking to someone that has an emotional motivation to do something. You know, you're, not, you're, not, you're not talking to him. And if they have an emotional um, sense to do something, they probably don't have very much common, common sense. Not, well, that's not what I'm trying to say, but something like that. I mean, they say Aristotle was a brilliant, uh, uh, the philosopher Aristotle, mm -hmm. he was found doing inappropriate things. And a student said, hey, what are you doing here? He said, right now, right now I'm not Aristotle. So just because we're smart and we know doesn't mean that we do. So if someone is driven by their emotions, the emotions will tell the intellect how to think. This is a very important point and this is what I want to share with you. Oftentimes, if we're caught up in something, we won't even realize it. But our emotions will convince us of something. And let me give you a very practical halakha from this. Today, in the Chumash, we're learning Parshish Devarim. It's talking about a judge. And one of the things it says about a judge is a judge is not allowed to take a bribe. Why can't a judge take a bribe? The Torah doesn't say a judge can't take a bribe because he's going to cheat for that person. No, you know what the Torah says? The Torah says when you take a bribe, your mind becomes corrupt. You won't even realize it, but your emotions, that guy did something nice for you, is going to control your mind and you're going to try and make him win. It's not an active thing. You're, it's not the, the judge, if he would recognize that he's trying to help the person who gave him a bribe, he would immediately stop what he's doing. We're not talking about bad people. But the Torah says not take a bribe. It's not saying because, oh, you're a bad guy. And No, we're talking about good people that would not sway the judgment. But they will be, they don't recognize that by taking that bribe, their, their mind will automatically be swayed. And that is why a judge can't take a bribe. The shochad lo sikah. It seems like one would go in hand with the other. I mean, if they take the bribe, especially somebody, you know, supposed, supposed to be that smart, or even somebody not smart, that takes the bribe, has to know on some level, has to feel it someplace. If they don't think it, they, then they do have to feel it. That it's like, a, it's like an emotion. This is, wait, this is, this, something's not right here. Well, you're talking about a bribe in the, <clears throat> in the general sense of where someone goes to a judge and say, you're such a nice guy, here's a thousand dollars. In that case, that, then there's something fishy. But when the Torah says bribe, the Torah actually tells judges they have to keep away from the, from the men coming in front of them. Because if, if the man even does him a small favor, the judge's mind may be warped. Correct. Correct. There's actually a story about who the main characters are. You know what I'm talking I'm not familiar. But. It goes against the very idea of what a judge stands for. Correct. 
Okay, correct. The judge has to be completely impartial. Fantastic. And, and our point here is that although we're, we're saying that the intellectual soul is godly, I'm also pointing out that we may not realize that the mind is being controlled by the heart. This is the point I want to bring out. You may not recognize that your heart is controlling your mind. Like from the example of a judge who does not recognize that by him taking this small bribe, his mind is being affected. So when I told you that example that we should see where things began, I was saying if you could really see. But remember, at times you may not be able to really see. You're not going to recognize. Okay. Let's now, so now we, we've concluded this topic of where is the abode of the animalistic and godly soul. One resides in the heart, one in the mind. And now we're going to start discussing the ultimate fight. The ultimate fight. When we talk about a fight, this is a serious, serious fight. And this is the fight of the two souls. Inside of each and every one of us, there are two souls, and they are fighting. Hilo Shlomo, you have never seen a fight like the fight of these two souls. These two souls have no place, one has no place for the other. The animalistic soul can't look at the godly soul. The godly soul can't look at the animalistic soul. The wish of the animalistic soul is to destroy the godly soul. And the wish of the godly soul is to completely destroy the animalistic soul. Sally, could you imagine you had a brother that you just... You can't look him in the, you can't look him in the eyes. Well, this is much worse. <laughs> imagine, you ever heard of Siamese twins? It's one body with two people, you've heard? Imagine that the two people, they just, they, they can't look at each other. They, they, they're so mad at each other. It's, it's unbelievable. So much that each one of these souls know that this, the, the moment that the other soul has any place in the body, I'm out. Let me give you an example. You have a city, and there's a war. Two kings are fighting over that city. That city will not be at peace until one king is completely in control. So long as the, the second king has the slightest reign, the first king, his, he has no stability because there's another king. We're not saying there's another politician. We're not saying there's another king. And the first king's reign is not, is not complete. It's not secure. And that is the fight of the two souls. The godly soul knows if there is the smallest passion, the smallest desire coming from the animalistic soul inside of me, then it's not a godly, then I haven't succeeded. If I want that the body of Yosef should be godly, well then if there's any desires, he's not fully godly. And the, the animalistic soul says, but if I want Sali Shlomo to be animalistic, if there's the smallest part of godliness, I haven't succeeded. It's a full-on full fight. 
And in th- what we're going to do now, until the end of the Perik, we're going to do from where we're holding, it is written, the last line of chapter 36, until the end of chapter 10, is we're going to describe in great detail this fight. We're going to describe how the godly soul it wants every single limb of the body to be controlled by it. You know, wh- what do you call those control freaks? What are they called? Like if, if someone is a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> the, I was going to come up with the name, but never mind. The godly soul, he's a control freak, and the animalistic soul also. They say there's no place for anyone else. <laughs> but it's for a very good reason. And we'll continue that next week. Let's, let's make a summary of what we've learned. And with that, we'll take, we'll take some concluding questions. We started off saying that the animalistic soul is all heart. The godly soul is all mind. The animalistic soul is, in, is therefore in the heart. The godly soul is therefore in the mind. The godly soul is also in the right ventricle of the heart, which has no living blood. It has no blood full of energy. We gave examples of what it means. That the heart controls the emotions. We gave the example of having love because you've thought about and you understand and reflect on matters that arouse love. We've given the example of gladness to Ferris, which comes from the mind. And that was by harboring his wisdom and understanding and gazing at the glory of the king and beauty of his greatness. And we said, similarly, all of the emotions of the godly soul come from the heart. And next week we're going to discuss the fight of the two souls. And you don't want to miss it. Are there any questions? Yes. Yes. Where does mental illness fall into this model? Where does mental illness fall into this model? I'm not sure how it's done. Well, okay, let me, let me just share that <clears throat> normally mental illness means that your brain is not operating appropriately. Right. That means, yeah. So that, that means that your brain... What do I mean by your brain is not operating appropriately? Let's say, so, let's say someone has OCD. So in that case, they're overly compulsive about something. And that means that there's something inappropriate going on within the brain. We're not saying that the brain is holy of holies. Unfortunately, there could be issues also inside of the brain. We were making a general observation that in a general circumstance, if something is coming from the brain, and truly from the brain, it has a bigger chance of being godly than if it was coming primarily from the heart. So Rabbi, on kind of expounding on his question. I mean, you used OCD as an example, but what if there's like something that's really wrong? Like, I don't know. Insanity. Yeah, yeah. or I I mean, I don't know, schizophrenia, um, you know, 12 different. Psychopath. um, Huh? Psychopath. Yeah, psychopath, I mean, anything like that. Well, then unfortunately, that person is in a very bad state and needs to work it through with the help of God. Um, That's the only way to work it through, right? I mean, there's not... Well, well, and I'm happy you're mentioning this, Liz, because later on in Tanya, chapter 26, 27, we're going to discuss some hands-on 
methods of dealing with some real mental illnesses, for example, and primarily we're going to discuss at length depression. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, the uh, Tanya is not quoted enough in the field of medical science and mental health and mental illness, but we will discuss some real practical applications and methods of dealing with some mental illnesses. So is dealing with it the same as um, is dealing with it the same as learning how to communicate with those people? Tanya, you're saying, is Tanya going to share with us how to communicate with someone depressed? No, I'm asking if Tanya is going to help us communicate with somebody deranged. Deranged? Uh-huh. Tanya will, will not address it directly to the best of my knowledge. Um, but Halacha discusses it. Hmm? The Torah law discusses how to work with such a person and the Torah has special um, special requirements from such a person and how we deal with them we have to recognize the state they're in respect them for who they are they, sh they need dignity yeah where is that from? it's actually found all over in many places we discuss um, we discuss at times what you're referring to would be a shaita a shaita in a very simple level is an idiot um, but on, on a deeper level at times we'll find in halakha it's someone who is not his mind is not in control yeah yes if you had a question no. okay good evening everyone and thank you very much cool.